The scripture for today is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. This can be found on page 1021 in your Black Pew Bibles. 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to you, to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Good morning. Hey, welcome. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I don't know what you think. I don't know what books or movies or teachings come into your head when you hear the word antichrist. Um, but we're not mainly talking about antichrist or antichrists today. Um, what, what we're talking about is what to do when people leave. Like, how do you make sense of fracturing in Christian relationships? How do you make sense of uh, shifting beliefs or behaviors? And when everything feels really topsy-turvy, uh, what, what are the essential things that you have to hold on to, or what is the essential thing that you have to hold on to? So that's mainly what I think John is talking about. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into that, let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, God, God, thank you. Thank you that you care about us enough to speak clearly to us. Uh, and will you give us wisdom? Will you give us discerning today, especially as we talk about Things like um, relationships changing or breaking or people leaving, things not being the way that they used to be. Um, will you help us to see Jesus in the middle of all of that? Like you, John, John is really, really clear. You, you've shown us what's true. You're not hiding anything from us. You're not holding out on us. So Lord Jesus, will you fill us all with your spirit this morning? Will you open our hearts? Will you give us faith? And will you help us to love you? I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, so last August, there was a book uh, that got released called The Great Dechurching. And it's basically trying to study what a lot of people, maybe a lot of you, have sensed over the last few years namely, that the world is changing really quickly. 
Uh, patterns of belief or uh, behavior or what people do looks really differently. We're living through a really massive resorting of belief, behavior, and belonging. And one of the big, like, uh, main stats in the book is that over the last 25 years, 40 million people in the United States have stopped going to church. So for the first time, uh, since people started keeping track of church attendance and really fascinating stuff like that, more people in the United States do not go to church than do go to church. And soon the biggest demographic in the United States will be people who used to go to church, not people who have never gone to church or people who do go to church. Things are shifting quickly. And I'm sure that's not really a surprise for you. A lot of us have family members, friends, coworkers who, for one reason or another, have drifted away from the church. And maybe that is your story true, or you're trying to understand what you actually believe about God and the church. Maybe you have people who are really influential in your life um, who now renounce the faith that they used to teach. Uh, there, was, there was a guy that I used to read in high school, um, you know, about like, hey, how to build your faith as a teen or do great things for God or whatever. Um, and now he's selling books and resources on how to deconstruct your faith and how to leave your faith. What do you do when you experience shifts like that? Who, who do you believe? What is essential? And, and here's the thing. Um, this isn't just like some abstract propositional thing that we have to figure out in our brains, right? Because Christianity is relational. People are relational. And so the splintering or the fracturing of Christian community or people leaving who we looked up to and respected is really disorienting. It's one of the most disorienting things that can happen in the Christian life. So how do we make sense of it? How do we respond? And how do we know what's true and what is a lie? And the thing is, none of these questions, um, none of these questions are new. The church that John was writing to almost 2,000 years ago were asking the exact same questions. If the gospel of Jesus is true, if God is light, if God is pushing back darkness, if the church is the body of Jesus that is knit together in love, then why do relationships fall apart? How do you make sense of people leaving? And more than that, if people that we know, love, and respect start to teach something differently about Jesus, then who do we, like, how do we know who or what to believe? So we've been going through uh, this letter from John, uh, and it's written to a church um, that was founded a few years after, um, after Jesus. And in this, John is talking uh, about relationships all over the place. He talks about um, communion. And when we say communion, we're not just talking about the Lord's Supper that we do. He's talking about a specific type of relationship. If God is a relational God, if God in his essence is a father loving a son, then that means that we have a relational faith. The communion that we're talking about is a kind of relationship that is available in Christ. It's the kind of relationships that we want that are built on love and um, deep purpose in unity and direction. And that communion should be an overflow of the kind of love and relationship that comes directly from God. Because Jesus himself said that people would know that we're his followers because of the way that we love each other. And John is writing about that to that, this church because their relationships are falling apart. The church is fracturing. 
There are people who are leaving and going out. And when those relationships fall apart, when people leave and churches split, the question is, hey, is the truth of Christianity compromised? Like if God is a God of love, relationship, and unity, then do the actions of the people who are following him disprove something about the gospel or who he is? Does a failure of unity disprove the gospel? And because uh, these questions can be really big, they can be really personal, it's really good that we have a wise old man like John who walked with Jesus to guide us. And so John's words in 1 John 2 speak directly to all of these, all of these questions. And I love the way that he kindly and calmly warns and encourages his church and us in these verses. And his big idea, if I had to boil it all down, is that when we are confronted with a fracturing of Christian relationships, Jesus is the standard of true faith not the beliefs, behaviors, or decisions of any other person. When you see people going in different directions, when you see people starting to say different things, the standard of what is actually true is Jesus. So we look to Jesus, not any other person. That's what John is going to do over and over and over again in this passage and in this whole book. Now, I think there are three main kind of movements that we see uh, in, in this passage. I think John starts by helping us identify what is true Christianity. Then John helps us to understand what is at stake when relationships start to fall apart. And then he ends by showing us how to stay close to or abide with Jesus when things get topsy-turvy. So that's, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. How to identify true Christianity, how to know what is at stake, and how to uh, stay close to Jesus. So uh, go, go ahead and open up your, your Bibles again. We're just going to be kind of flowing in and out of, of these verses. Um, and John starts uh, by addressing what I think has been the main concern in, in this whole let, letter, which is uh, there's a group of people who have left, and it's split the community. What do we do about that? So, so look, with, look with me again at verse 18. Children, I love how he's just, he's, he's talking like a father to kids who are confused and hurting. Um, he, says, he says, hey, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So here's, here's something that's important that we need to clarify. Um, what, what exactly is going on in John's church? We're not exactly sure. He doesn't give a ton of details. He doesn't say exactly what these other people uh, are teaching or saying. But what we can tell from this passage and others is that there has been this really deep fracture in the church, and it is causing the people who are still in the church to really question everything. Uh, they're, they're not just questioning uh, their relationships, but they're also questioning their belief. Hey, is what we've heard from the beginning actually true? 
Is it reliable? Can we trust what we have heard about who Jesus is when we've experienced or gone through um, all of all of this? Um, so we don't, again, we don't have full details, but it looks like there's a group of people who started challenging the message of the gospel and the identity of Jesus. And then when they couldn't get everyone on board or when they couldn't uh, get control over leadership in the church, they left the church and took a lot of people with them. And so you can understand that this is, really painful. This is really disorienting. Who, who, who do we know who to believe? Who's right? Who's wrong? And the thing is, um, being a Christian in John's day was way more risky than it is right now, right? Because being aligned with a church is actually taking a really active stand against the empire, against the culture, against the society. You're risking your reputation, your livelihood, in some cases, even your life by being aligned with the church. It, it, it wasn't a mainstream option, kind of like it is today. Um, we, you know, we, 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 uh, we don't have a ton of pressure from a hostile world that is just like throwing tomatoes at us for going to a worship service. Um, but it, they did. And now there is pressure coming from inside the church also. So, so this is really important. John is not talking about people having some small disagreement and then going to the church um, down, down, down the road. There are other sermons to preach about consumerism. I'm sure you've heard, all heard them. But what's happening here is a really clear departure from what they've been taught about who Jesus is and how they are supposed to live. And John is, John is really clear that trying to draw people away from Jesus is the spirit of antichrist, is antichrist. Let me pause there for just a second because we, we, I think we need to talk about what exactly that, that, that word means. I grew up in a church that talked about the antichrist a whole lot, um, very specifically. Like there are a lot of details about like, oh my goodness, this happened in Russia, which is clearly pointing to this passage in the Bible, which clearly means that the, that's the antichrist and Jesus is gonna come back in about three and a half years. Um, that's not, that, that's not what John is doing here. In fact, um, the word antichrist only appears in John's writings, in First and Second John. Um, and what John is talking about isn't some big, bad, scary figure at the end of the world. He's talking about people, because he says there is not just one antichrist, there are many antichrists who set themselves up in the place of Jesus. That word anti, it doesn't necessarily mean the opposite of or completely opposed to. It really means instead of. So the spirit of antichrist is propping yourself up in the place of Jesus, putting yourself forward as the place of life and authority. Do you, so people, people would say, hey, um, do you want to know the real truth about who God is and how you're supposed to live? Well, I have it. So come follow me. Come uh, listen to me. Come put your trust in me. And what John is saying is like, no, 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 that's not it. Anyone who says that, anyone who draws you away from the simple truth of Jesus that you've heard from the beginning is spirit of antichrist. So look, look at the logic of verse 18 again. It's the last hour, he says. You've heard antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. So now we know it's the last hour. He's just saying the same thing two times. Some people read this, they think John was convinced that Jesus was about to return, the world was about to end, but he was just wrong. John, John just got that wrong. I don't think that's what he is talking about. Um, in John, the last hour is talking about the world after Jesus. When Jesus came, he changed everything. It's a new era, it's a new time, it's a new 
hour. And John is looking at what Jesus said would happen. And he says, oh, that's, that's actually happening. All that's happening here in this church is exactly what Jesus said would happen after he left. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, in, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about what life would be like, what the church would experience after he leaves, after he ascends into heaven. And he says, hey, look, false Christs and false prophets are going to come. They're going to arise. They're going to perform great signs and wonders. And they're going to try to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In other words, many are going to come and claim to speak for Jesus or give special insight into Jesus. And the mark of these people is always that they substitute themselves for Jesus. Instead of saying you'll find life and salvation in him, you'll find life by listening to us. And so John looks at what's happening in the church. He's like, oh, that's just what Jesus said would happen. Jesus said that people would come and try to draw people away. And so when these people leave the church, it isn't proof that what Jesus said about the unity of his people is false. It actually just points to the fact that light cannot coexist with darkness. And drawing people away from Jesus is the work of darkness. So he says, they went out from us to show that they never actually belonged to us. Because pressuring people to leave Jesus is antichrist. So John is doing really what any loving father would do. He's helping his disoriented children to remember what is real and to see reality clearly. And I think the way that he does it in verses 20 through 21 is, is really beautiful because he draws a contrast between those who are denying the person and way of Jesus and those who are staying, even when it is hard. Let's look, look, look at what he says. Um, he says, so they went out, contrast, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. What's John saying? He's, like, he's saying, hey, you, you guys know what's true. You have the Holy Spirit. There is not a secret bit of God that is off limits to you that these people have access to. God is not holding out on you. He's given you everything. He showed us exactly who he is and how to know him. You're, you're, you're not missing anything essential to knowing God and receiving salvation. And again, one of the hallmarks of false teaching or teachers or antichrists is that they say that they have something that you don't, and you have to go through them to get to God. But the message of the gospel is, hey, you don't have to go through anyone but Jesus to have, have access to the Father. You know that. You know the truth, and anything that does not line up with that is a lie. So when things are fracturing, when people are leaving, and again, when we're talking about leaving, we're not just talking about, I had a disagreement, so I'm deciding to go to a different church. When people are leaving Christianity, you look to Jesus. You hold fast to Jesus. True faith, true Christianity, always holds fast to Jesus. It doesn't add to the truth of the gospel and anything or anyone who does that is not a genuine representative of Jesus. 
And then, according to John, after this, the stakes of getting this right are, are really high. So, so let's, let's keep going and talk about how, how do we know what is at stake when we're experiencing people leaving or people going. Um, let's, let's, let's look at verse uh, 22 and 23. John likes to repeat himself a, a whole lot. Um, he says one thing in about 10 different ways. So in, in 22 again, he says, hey, who's the liar but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. But no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So there are a lot of things that Christians disagree about. A lot of things. Christians disagree about baptism. Christians disagree about whether or not you can speak in tongues. Christians disagree about what kind of songs you should sing in church. Christians disagree about a whole lot of things. So the question is, hey, how, how do we know when disagreement is just disagreement, and then we can all you know, trust that the, this other person loves Jesus, and then how do we know when it's that or when it is something more than that. And John, again, is always going to bring everything back to what do you believe about Jesus? Is Jesus Christ actually who he says he is, or is he not? Who, who's the liar? The liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Who, who is an antichrist? The person who denies, that the, 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 denies the Father and the Son. Is Jesus actually who he says he was? Is he actually the only true way to God and the only one who can save us, bring us to him, or is he not? And for John, the, the answer to that is really clear. Any denial around the identity of Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world is antichrist. So this is not a small disagreement where, we, where, where people can just agree to disagree. Um, in, in John's day, there, there were all sorts of ideas about how to make sense of Jesus because he turned the world upside down, right? How, how did a simple Jewish carpenter change the entire world? Everyone, Christian or non-Christian, was trying to figure, to, to figure that out. And so in these verses, we, we see that the people splitting John's church were denying that Jesus was actually God who came in the flesh. That's why John has emphasized that over and over and over again in this letter. Maybe he was an enlightened man. Maybe he was specially touched or anointed by God. But they thought it's really scandalous to think that God would humiliate himself by becoming so small and by dying. We, we, we don't want a God who looks like that. And that, that basic discomfort about who Jesus is and what to think about him, it, it, it hasn't gone away. It's just shifted. It, it just looks a little bit differently. Let, let, let me give you an example. Um, in the 1900s, there was a man named uh, Jay Gresham Machen. He was studying to be a pastor, training, um, and he, he wrote this book called Christianity and Liberalism because what he was experiencing in his day was something that he was really struggling to make, make sense of. It was really popular in that day. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've um, experienced something like this to look at the Bible and say, man, there is so much great teaching in here about how people should relate to each other. You know, the, and we, we see stuff about how uh, we should care for the poor, how we should love, for, lo love one another. Um, but 
people uh, in that movement were like, but it really does not make sense for the modern, like we, we know science now, you know, people, people back 2000 years ago didn't know science, but now we know science. So we know miracles can't be true. Um, Jesus, like dead people don't come back to life. Um, so what we have to do to have a really authentic faith is to strip away all the stories and all the fairy tales and just get down to the core essential teachings. If we can just love people the way that Jesus loved people, then we'll be okay. Then, then, then everyone will want to be a Christian. And, and Machen was looking at this and, and he was like, he was really confused because the people were saying this were amazing people. They were kind, they were compassionate, they genuinely cared for other people in their communities. And at the same time, they're saying, no, you don't actually need Jesus to be God. What you need is just to understand what Jesus said about relating to God or to a higher power or to the universe. It all, it all means the same thing, right? We just need to figure out how to love each other. And Machen is struggling with this, trying to figure it out. And, and he realizes like, hey, you, you can't actually love people genuinely if you get God wrong. You, you, you cannot genuinely get to the core of Christianity if by doing that you deny everything about who God actually is. And one of the things that he said, I, lo I love this quote, uh, he, he's saying, hey, the, the great weapon with which the disciples of Jesus set out to conquer the world wasn't just a mere comprehension of eternal principles. The, the, the disciples weren't people who just got the way that the world worked in a unique way. What they had was a historical message, an account of something that had actually happened. It was the message that Christ is risen. The coming of Jesus was understood now as an act of God by which sinful people are saved. If you strip the gospel of its power and just get down to, hey, can we be kind to other people? You actually lose everything. You lose the Father. You lose life. And ironically, you embrace lies, which cannot, you cannot love people genuinely through a lie. You have to have the truth. If God is not the father of Jesus Christ, and if the point of religion is to just get more secret knowledge or to find ways to be better or to make the world around us better, then life just becomes, as Michael Reeves says, a self-dependent effort under the all-seeing eye of a distant and loveless God. Because it is essential to who God is that he is a father. If, if God's not a father, then he, if, if God um, cannot actually love someone the way that he says that he loves the son, well, then, like, how do we know that he loves us? And then life just becomes like, okay, well, how do I make this world better? How do I try to do it? And God just becomes an impersonal means of trying to better ourselves and the world around us, which is not Christianity. It's not the message of the gospel. But, John says, if we see Jesus clearly for who he is, then we have him and we have the Father. We have the love, the depth of relationship that flows from knowing him. 
And so the stakes are high. The stakes are really high. John does not see abandoning the faith as some trivial thing. Like he sees, he sees the gospel and salvation for men, women, and the world at stake in this issue. And so what do you do? What do you do if the stakes are that high? Well, John, John again, is really clear. You stay close to Jesus. You abide with Jesus. Look at, look at 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So John, John's direction here is really clear. If, if these people who are leaving, and if these people are leaving in such a way that John is saying that they are antichrist, if they're saying, hey, you have to go through me to understand God, then John is saying, no, you, you, you know, every, you, you have access to God. This is not a, it's not a secret. You've already heard it. It's the thing you heard from the beginning. So the answer is not, hey, go find someone who has more knowledge than you to get you closer to God. The answer is, hey, stick with the message that you heard from the beginning. What is this message you heard from the beginning? It is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's the message that God himself has come to us to save us and make us his own. We didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, the story of humanity, probably your story, definitely my story, is one of resistance and rebellion against God. But God loved us even while we were enemies and has made us part of his family to share in his life and love. And so John says, how do you experience that? How do you get more of that in your life? It's verse 24. You just abide in it. You stay connected to it. You stay present with it. What does, that, what, what, what does that mean? Like a lot of us are abiding with news about the Chiefs right now, right? We're thinking about it. We're just looking about it. Or, you know, Taylor, whatever, Taylor Swift. Um, there are a lot of things that people abide with and stay connected to. Um, and what John is saying is if we have the simple gospel message in our hearts, then the promise is that we will actually abide, think in terms of like, communion, relational closeness with the Son and the Father and have the life that Jesus promised. Abiding, staying close to the gospel message leads to more life. How does that work? Um, I, 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 think this, I think this is how it works. Um, the messages and the stories that you tell yourself or that you believe and internalize have a real impact on the way that you live, right? If you live in a family where your experience the messages that you heard, the messages that you received are, hey, to really be loved and accepted and affirmed, you have to behave a certain way. Right? If, if that's a message that you heard, then that changes the way that you live in that family, right? You try to prove that you have your life together. You try to prove that you um, are worthy, that you've achieved, that, that you know, dad should be proud of you. And so you work really, really hard to do that. Why? Because the message that you've heard from the beginning is that you have to do that, to be accepted. But if you live in a family where the message that you've heard from the beginning is like, hey, you are loved and accepted regardless, like how does that change the way that you're present there? You don't have to perform to receive acceptance or love or forgiveness or belonging. You know that you actually have it. 
And John is saying the same is exactly true with the way that you relate to God. Is God someone who is expecting you to find hidden secret knowledge and to work really hard to get close to him? Or is God the God of the Bible who actually comes to you, loves you, forgives you, takes care of your sin, and then places you in his family? The message that you tell yourself, the message that you believe has real impact on the way that you live in your day-to-day life. When people fail or when people leave, if you believe that God still has you, then that secures you. It doesn't change anything about what God thinks about you. So how, how do you stay close to Jesus? How do you cultivate this message? Will, will you take Jesus on his own terms? You trust that he's given him, that he's given you everything that you need to know him and you look to him for life. So, so let me just tie up a few loose ends um, really, really quickly. The kind of leaving that John is talking about, just to be really clear, in 1 John 2 is a rejection of the person of Jesus. It is not a blanket condemnation of people who are doubting or a permanent writing off of people. Look look, look at verse 26. John is saying, hey, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There, There is a real difference between doubt and deception. John is giving clear warnings and instructions to people who are wavering, to people who are doubting. And the Bible gives also us really clear instructions on how we walk with people like that. Jude 22 through 23 says, have mercy on those who doubt. 1 John 5, we'll get there in a, in, in a couple weeks, says that it's a good thing when you see a brother who is leaving, wandering, it's a good thing to go after him to love him, to pray that God would restore him and bring him back. So when I open the sermon with an illustration that 40 million people have left the church, I'm, I'm not saying that those people are examples of they went out from us to show that they were never of us. I'm not saying that 40 million people are embodying the spirit of the Antichrist. Some of them just moved. Some of their kids have been sick for three straight years and they haven't come back. It's maybe a few of us in this room right now. Or the kids got busy with sports or they never came back after COVID. More than half of those people who have left the church said that they would come back if someone invited them. So John's word to us when people leave is not, hey, yeah, just write those people off. Just forget about them. And his, 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 um, his word to us is nobody else gets to define the reality of who Jesus is. The actions of other people do not determine the faithfulness of God. And so, remember the gospel of Jesus. Jesus has given us everything that we need. You are not missing any hidden knowledge or bit of information. Jesus and the New Testament always come back to us like, hey, what are you gonna do when this happens? What, what are you going to do? when relationships fall apart or when people start drifting. That other person will have to stand before God. What are you going to do? Are you going to hold fast to the gospel and receive life? Or are you going to walk into a lie? And again, 
the stakes are really high. And so maybe you find yourself in this room right now wavering in your faith and wondering, um, is this true? Is Jesus who he actually says he is? And John's, John's word to you is, hey, there, there's, there's not life outside of Jesus. Where else are you going to go? This is the place where we find true, lasting, eternal life. This is the place where we find reconciliation with God. So whatever is driving you, maybe it's doubt, pride, pain, apathy, the result is the same. If you lose Jesus, you lose everything. But if you have him, then you have everything. You have the Father, you have a place in his family, you have a place in his home, and you have the stability that comes from him only, the God who made everything. So church, family, I'm not old enough to say little children like John is. Hold fast to Jesus. When life falls apart, when things get crazy, when things are confusing, hold on to him, and that's where you'll find true life. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you um, that you are true, that life does come through you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would increase our faith. Will you help us to see you? Will you help us to know you? And God, in places um, like we've, we've all experienced, um, I think we've probably all experienced the pain of people leaving and the sadness and sorrow and confusion that comes from that. God, will you make us wise? Will you fill us with love? Will you fill us with compassion? And will you help us to hold fast to what's true? And that feels really tricky. Um, we need your spirit and we trust that you have given your spirit to us. Uh, so Lord Jesus Christ, will you be present here? Will you be present in power and compassion and forgiveness and salvation? Will you bind up wavering hearts? Will you encourage doubting hearts? Um, will you strengthen all of us? We trust that you actually can do that for us. So I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.